Hello and welcome. This is Colleen O'Grady, the host of the Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. This is a gathering place for moms to be encouraged, nurtured, and inspired. Also, you'll learn the latest in teen research and trends and get practical parenting tips. You really can improve your relationship with your teen and enjoy the teenage years. Welcome back, everyone, to the 107th episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. I'm Colleen O'Grady, the host of the show. In this episode, I interview Dr. Kenneth Bach, the author of Brain Inflamed, Uncovering the Hidden Causes of Anxiety, Depression, and Other Mood Disorders in Adolescents and Teens. This book is literally fresh off the press. Dr. Bach is a board-certified physician who received his MD degree with honor from the University of Rochester School of Medicine in 1979, an internationally recognized pioneer of integrative medicine. He is the best-selling author of Healing the New Childhood Epidemics, The Road to Immunity, Natural Relief for Your Child's Asthma, and The Germ Survival Guide. He has also contributed to numerous professional publications and is an in-demand national and international speaker. Over the course of his 35-year career, he has become known for his unique ability to identify and untangle the most complex multi-system medical cases. His world-renowned private practice, Bach Integrative Medicine, is located in the beautiful Hudson Valley in Red Hook, New York. Over the past decade, the number of 12 to 17-year-olds suffering from mental health disorders has more than doubled, which leaves all of us asking, what is causing this epidemic? And I know many of you listening have teens who struggle with anxiety, depression, and other mood disorders. Dr. Kenneth Bach shares a revolutionary new view of adolescent and teen mental health, which I think you will find very helpful and encouraging. Here's what Dr. Bach says. A 2016 Child Mind Institute report announced that one in five children suffer from a mental health or learning disorder, and 80% of chronic mental disorders begin in childhood, according to the National Institute of Mental Health. Half of our adolescents have been diagnosed with a mental disorder, and of that half, about 20% will find it severely disruptive to their lives. That's a lot of suffering children and parents seeking answers. But what if in the wake of what some are calling a mental health epidemic, we're looking for answers in the wrong place? What if it's not our children's minds that are sick, but something else? In my practice, I dig deep to find that something else, if it exists. And I've frequently discovered that sometimes what looks like a purely psychiatric issue can in fact have biological underpinnings. For example, I've seen depression as a symptom of thyroid dysfunction, anxiety and fatigue as a result of adrenal dysfunction, hyperactivity, ADHD, conduct disorders, and mood disorders with tantrums provoked by allergies, depression, lethargy, separation, anxiety, mood swings, paranoia, and schizophrenia precipitated by gluten sensitivity. Frequent irritability and fatigue induced by reactive hypoglycemia low blood sugar. So welcome, Dr. Kenneth Bach. Thank you. Pleasure to be with you. I'm so glad that you can talk to us. You're going to be super helpful to our moms. So can you tell me why you decided to write Brain Inflamed? What was your inspiration for that book, which just came out, right? Yeah, two weeks ago, actually, two two weeks and three days. (laughs) Well, congratulations. Yeah, it's always exciting. It's like giving giving birth to a new book. Yeah. Many years into it, as you could imagine, you've written a book I know as well. So there's many years into it. Um, And actually it started, I I would go really back to um, when I first got into medicine. So when I, when I was in college, I did a course on nutrition. When I was in my residency and boarded in family medicine, I did a, you know, I was always uh, bocking his vitamins, bocking his zinc. And then then as I got into medicine, it was, although I was boarded in family medicine, I was always interested in what was underlying illness, never really content to just give band-aids. And 
you know, cover up symptoms or help symptoms. And listen, I want to help symptoms, no question. But I always had this, you know, it's just the way my mind works. And it, 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 it both kind of does deep dives and also th synthesizes. And so as I did a lot of work with uh, kids with chronic infections, I did a lot of research into the immune system. And my first book was in 1997 called The Road to Immunity. How to survive and thrive in a toxic book in a toxic world. It was actually probably a little bit before its time, and still quite relevant. Obviously, really even more so now, although quite relevant then. And as I researched a certain uh, immune modulator called transfer factors, I was invited to give a lecture to a conference in 1998 on autism, and uh, they found the work extremely interested interesting. And uh, it attracted many, many families uh, with autism to come to my practice. And lo and behold, many started getting better because of my integrative medicine approach and my attention to the immune system. So I began seeing families from all over the country uh, and all over the world. And now, you know, fast forward, you know, 20 uh, plus years and it's thousands and thousands of them. And as I saw those families, I then saw more and more of the siblings who were neurotypical, but also had many psych issues, many mood disorders, and a subtype of the autistic kids uh, had brain inflammation. Quite a very, very large component actually had brain inflammation. And um, part of my success is figuring that out, is subtyping them into uh, gut immune brain axis, which I would, would touch upon in a little bit. And, and whether they have metabolic imbalances or allergies or deficiencies and nutrient deficiencies, toxicities. And so when I started applying those same kind of approaches to the uh, neurotypical siblings, I was seeing mood disorders, lo and behold, a lot of them had brain inflammation. And so uh, in essence, um, I started realizing that a lot of what I had learned and what I was doing with the kids in the spectrum had relevance to neurotypical tweens and teens and adolescents and teens. And, um, and what's even, you know, kind of the most important fact of it is that the psychosocial issues need to be addressed. Just like autistic kids, you need, they need to have therapies. I can do all the biomedical treatments and help them. My job is to help the neurons and the immune cells and the gut cells work better so they can respond to the other therapies, ABA, speech, occupational therapy, um, physical therapy, because they're way behind and they have to catch up. And it's the same thing with these kids. These kids may need to be on psych meds, may, they need therapy of various kinds, but if you don't find the underlying medical issues, um, then you, you're, you're relegating them to a life uh, of, psych meds and therapy and never getting to the bottom of it. So uh, luckily I've had a lot of success with those kids as well. So I said, you know what, it's been over 10 years since my last book. I think I have something important to say. And I just didn't want to write another book, just to write another book. I felt like I wanted to wait till I had something important to say. Well, I think it's a super important book. And especially that we're going to get into at some point about the brain, the brain gut connection and the brain blood barrier. I think that's so, so interesting to me. So can you talk about your immune kettle and the different facets of the immune kettle? Because I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, sure. I think that's a really, it's a good question, a good concept. And it actually dates back to 1997. I put that in my first book, The Road to Immunity, which is, which is how I look at chronic illness and multi-symptom, multi-system complaints. It's in other words, we're not just one thing. And the problem in conventional medicine, and, I, and believe me, I'm not bad-mouthing conventional medicine. It's just that sometimes we can be focused on one thing and, and forget the whole picture. And so if somebody comes in with a lot of stress, we can say, oh, all your symptoms are stress-related, your headaches, your irritable bowel syndrome, your, 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 your neck spasms. But the bottom line is, yes, stress is important to deal with. And stress may be the thing that ultimately puts him over the top of the immune kettle or the collagen or whatever you want to call it, and it boils over. But you can't forget the other layers, which start with a genetic predisposition. And in every patient, these are different sizes. 
So somebody with a very small lay, and the, the further you are from the top of the kettle, the further you are from being sick with symptoms. So the, the, the more I can get people down in the kettle by addressing all the things that contribute, like you can't, you can't change the genes, uh, at least right now, <laughs> safely anyway. I mean, right, um, right. But, but some people who may be more resistant, they may have a very small genetic predisposition where somebody unfortunately may have a much larger one that puts them higher up in the kettle. And then you layer onto that nu nutritional deficiencies or insufficiencies, not always a frank deficiency, but people sometimes need more of one thing than somebody else. Then allergies and sensitivities, then immune issues, like maybe immune deficiencies, and then toxicities, chemical exposures, lead, mercury, and, and then metabolic things, the ability to methylate and sulfate, sort of detox, and, and your ability for your mitochondria to, to make energy, all these things, and then infections of all kinds, and that's a huge thing, and I'm happy to talk more about that because that's something that if it gets missed, they're not going to get better because these underlying infections in, uh such as tick-borne like Lyme and Bartonella um, and, and strep, which can cause a, a, a post-strep autoimmune brain inflammation. So all these things layered up, uh, hormone imbalances, thyroid, adrenal, and then you put on top of that stress, it looks like the stress is the issue and it may be the overriding issue and the, and the issue that just throws them over uh, and boils them over the cauldron in the kettle. But that's not only stress, because if you had them lower in the kettle, you could add that same amount of stress and the system could handle it. That's the whole concept that's very important to grasp. Oh, that makes so much sense. So much sense. When you talk about brain inflammation, can you define what that is for our moms who are listening? Sure. So, I mean, in essence, brain inflammation consists of a lot of I mean, it's inflammatory mediators. In other words, what that means um, is that there are things in the body that uh, are pro-inflammatory. And, you know, you can think of inflammation in a couple of ways. If you think of you cut yourself and you get the redness and everything around it, um, that's healthy inflammation coming to try to heal that wound. I mean, obviously it gets all pussy and stuff. It's infected. That's a different story. But that, that erythema, that redness, we call it erythema, is normal part of the healing process. And acute inflammation is good and healthy. It heals insults, it heals wounds. But inflammation that I speak of is much more of a chronic inflammation where it's either overwhelming, profound inflammation that overwhelms the system, or it's just ongoing and doesn't go away. You don't get the resolution. So you have your immune cells producing all these, what we call inflammatory mediators, things like uh, immune messenger molecules. Kind of like if you've ever heard of neurotransmitters that uh, uh, are talk between the nerve cells and hormones in the endocrine system. Well, in the immune system, they're called cytokines. They're all part of this me uh, informational messages uh, or informational molecules as Candace Pert called them years ago, which is really a great way of looking at it. So. That and then, um, you know, there's a lot of things in your body that can cause inflammation. Histamine, allergic inflammation. That's why we take antihistamines or try to stay away from the allergies. Um, uh, uh, prostaglandins are another thing that come that can be both anti-inflammatory and pro-inflammatory. And the same thing with immune messenger molecules. So the problem is there's an imbalance. There's either not enough immune regulatory immune uh, um, anti-inflammatory molecules, too much inflammatory molecules that then gets into the brain. And the microglia are the immune cells in the brain. And when they get upregulated, they start pouring out all kinds of inflammatory mediators. And that just, just like, it's, it's like what it's been called the brain on fire. And it, it just messes up uh, neuronal transmissions, neuronal membranes, the uh, synapses, the receptors. And and those immune cells are very important. Down-regulating the microglia, which are the immune cells in the brain, are one of the things that we try to do. As well as, you mentioned the blood-brain barrier. We call it, not the brain blood, it's okay. We call it the, <laughs> the BBB. Yes. That is this dynamic cellular interface. It's very tiny. It's, it's these tiny capillaries. These are the smallest, smallest blood vessels that are... Uh, 
in the in the brain that separate the brain from the periphery, our, our bodies. And their job is one cell thick. They're called endothelial cells. These are little cells that, li that line these tiny capillaries, uh, literally so small that uh, like a red blood cell, a tiny red blood cell that you can only see in a microscope uh, can get through. And their job is to be tight, is to keep these toxins and inflammatory mediators out. However, when they get leaky, I'll say it in quotes, when they get more permeable, they lose that their integrity. And you know how important it is to have integrity at a cellular basis and, and a human basis to have our integrity, right? It's, it's, it's crucial. They, when they lose that integrity, they allow these inflammatory mediators to get in the brain and then start this fast forward cycle of more and more inflammation. And, and so, I mean, that's, that's inflammation. So I, I think the important takeaway uh, take from that is that there's acute inflammation, which can be healthy and healing, and chronic prolonged inflammation, which can be destructive. Right, that's great. So you talk about the gut immune connection and the gut brain connection. And I would like you to talk about that. And, you know, we, a lot of us as moms, we know that the brain impacts the gut because if we get stressed out, we might get nauseous or stomach hurts or we get butterflies. But the thing that was a real huge aha for me is that um, you talked about it being bi-directional, yes. that the gut impacts the brain. So, so that's a lot, but can you talk about that? Yes, and actually you, you separated them and I think you can actually put them together. So okay. The gut immune brain axis. Okay, and when, great. And when I give lectures and webinars, I have a, a nice slide that's like a, a triangle with the brain, the immune and the gut at each end of the triangle and arrows that have both ways arrows bi-directional. And by what I mean by that is that each one affects the other. Each one releases these kinds of mediators, whether they be neurotransmitters or cytokines, immune messenger molecules, or, or even hormones. And the gut has all that stuff in it. The gut, you know, I mean, 95, 90, 95% of our serotonin, which people understand is the feel-good hormone, is in our gut. That's why the gut is so crucial. And in the middle of that triangle, you can envision it, people can just kind of close their eyes for a second and visualize this triangle, brain, immune, gut triangle. In the middle is the microbiome. Those are the, the, the bacteria and the organisms in your gut that are really, really essential for health. Now we, in my field of integrative medicine, we've been dealing with this, I've been in practice 37 years and uh, this is actually my 38th year. And we, uh, we've been talking about this from way back, but this is now being much more recognized in conventional medicine and there's so much research. And now with all our, our sophisticated ways that we can really, that metabolomics of these bacteria and things, we can really uh, uh, see a, a much greater picture and recognize the important importance that these gut organisms, these gut microflora have in our health and specifically in mood disorders and, and our healthy mood. So it's wild that your gut, and so we talk about, you know, we call that chapter in the book, Gut Feelings, because that's what it is. They really can influence anxiety and depression. And in addition to all the mediators that come from the gut, there's also a connection between the gut and the brain, the vagus nerve. And that's what can be so instantaneous. And so when you have a gut feeling, when it's that thing that happens so fast that you feel in your gut and the anxiety, there really is that instantaneous connection. It really is. And, and you, can, you can modulate that. So the, by dealing with the gut is so important in dealing with the kid's moods because if you decrease inflammation in the gut, um, you, you can decrease it in the brain because the connection there is, as I talked about, the leaky blood-brain barrier, where there's a barrier in the, in the gut that's just like that little one-cell lining of the blood vessel, where there's one-cell lining of, of, your, of your gut. It's called the epithelia, gut epithelia. And below that is all these immune cells. 70 to 75% of our immune system is in the gut. So think wow. about it. 
take a, take it really. Take, I mean, listen, there's about 26 feet of gut. It's a long thing. I mean, I wow. Once, I once did a lecture for kids in the, when my kid was, I think, second grade, and I gave this lecture about the gut, and I did a garden hose, and I pulled the garden hose, and I said, <laughs> this is 26 feet, this is in your gut, and I said, and at the end of it comes poop, and they went, oh! <laughs> 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 you know? <laughs> but the point being is, there is a lot, that the surface uh, of, of your gut lining is equivalent to about the surface of a tennis court, singles wow. tennis court, so it's huge, but think about your immune system, 70 to 75% of it, and then 90 to 95% of the serotonin. The gut is so key. And I think for so many years, that was really forgotten in medicine. And in my field, you really can't uh, deal with chronic illness without considering the gut. And, and that applies to mood disorders as well. You, you, you know, by giving probiotics, which are the good bacteria, if you can improve the balance of the microflora, the microbiome in the gut, you can decrease inflammation. And that's, you know, that's what we're trying to do. It's one of the ways to do it. I, w I was blown away to know that there was like 90, 95% of serotonin in the gut. That, I like went, whoa, oh my gosh. It's somebody who deals with mood disorders, right? You yeah, know? I mean, I just think of serotonin in the brain and uh, the SSRIs. I, I just, that blew me away. This may be a real naive question. Are there certain foods that you eat that help serotonin in your gut? Things that contain tryptophan, because tryptophan is a precursor. I think the old adage of having warm, hot milk with honey and increasing tryptophan and getting sleepy, because tryptophan can help people sleep. Um, so, yeah, there, there are ways. I mean, the, the thing that I would tell people to do is, as ways to, to, not, to, to avoid negatively impacting it is to avoid sweets and refined carbs. Those are things that are problematic from that regard. I, I think the key is by having that healthy microbiota, which is feeding them good prebiotics, this healthful type of fiber and, and nutritiously rich foods, not the, the, uh, the calorie-dense the nutrient poor foods, that that's a way of enhancing the microbiome and in a way of enhancing the serotonin production. So I, I'm not going to give specific foods, but I think it's from my point of view, it's, it's the way of doing it is to promote the healthy microbiome, which will then contribute to the healthier and more balanced amounts of serotonin and things like that. And yeah, so kind of more in terms of a larger system, what I'm hearing you say is really is keeping the inflammation down. Yes. I mean, the diet, if I had to, if, to answer that question, the studies have shown that a Mediterranean type diet, um, and I'm not saying the study says that increases serotonin, but the, the, it, 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 it will in the sense that a Mediterranean type diet has clearly been shown to help with anxiety and depression. And it's probably by its effect on the uh, uh, microbiome as well. But, and what do you, what is a Mediterranean type diet? It's the kind of diet that I love. And I have like, have my, you know, it's, it's, healthy lean protein, good healthy fats, olive oil, olive oil, olive oil, avocados, that kind of stuff, uh, coconut oil even. But um, truth is veggies, 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 veggies. And, you know, and maybe some fruit, but not as much fruit because fruit actually does produce a lot of sugar and you're staying away from, you're going to eat grains. They should be, you know, the kind of the organic whole grains. Um, and some people don't even do well with grains, so they have to stay away from them but certainly not to refine the white foods, the white flours, the white pastas, the, the sugars. And I had said that I made that example of honey and more milk, but you know, a lot of people don't do great with dairy and, and, and honey, of course, even though it seems more natural, it is a refined carb. So I think the key is veggies, 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 protein, vegetables, maybe some, maybe some fruit, but not, not the sweets and the typical American diet. That, those studies have been correlated with uh, improvement in mood disorders, clearly. Oh, that's awesome. So in chapter eight, you talk about the allergies and sensitivities. I was especially interested in the non-celiac gluten sensitivity and those studies that point to that bi-directional nature of the axis and how that contributes to inflammation. And you kind of just talk about how inflammation does. So can you talk about that? Like it's kind of like a bad snowball effect. Yeah, yeah, that's what I mean when I say feed forward, even exactly. It's the, I think that one of the major points of that is to understand for those who've never heard it before. And 
I would just ha ha have them understand that uh, I'm trying to be as simple as I can in terms of my explanation, and I know it's mothers, and I try to I talk to mothers every day. But um, the book was written for mothers. The book was really written for mothers, uh, mental health providers, and educators. And it was written to be understandable. I had a, I had a professional writer help me do that because you know I have the knowledge, but I, I may not be able to make it simple enough. So we really tried, and I, 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 so I'd want people not to be hopefully intimidated by some of these things we're talking about, about blood-brain barrier and these bi-directional. It's all explained, I think, pretty, pretty simply as, as best as possible in the book. I'm sorry, because I felt like I wanted to make that point. I thought- Oh yeah, no, it's great. So the non-celiac part of that gluten sensitivity is important because, you know, maybe 1% of the population is celiac, but it, it, but there's so many more people with non-celiac gluten sensitivity. And then even a percentage of people with gluten intolerance that are, don't even fall into the non-celiac gluten sensitivity. So um, gluten can be inflammatory. It's probably one of the most inflammatory foods. And what is gluten? It's a protein in wheat, barley, rye, and actually some oats. There are gluten-free oats, but a lot of the way oats are prepared, they may have gluten. So, and that's problematic. I mean, we, you know, wheat is relatively new in our culture, so to speak. And basically it's gluten, when it comes into body, can uh, initiate and propagate inflammatory reactions, not only in the gut, but that can spread elsewhere. And so if you're sensitive to it, and many, many people don't have the ability to either digest it properly or are sensitive to it, uh, possibly on a genetic basis, possibly on an environmental basis, possibly because what's in wheat, you know, and I say, you know, more recently, the way wheat is prepared, there it's interesting, there's probably less gluten sensitivity in Europe. You know, you can see all the French who eat their, their croissants and, uh, and drink their wine and somehow do better potentially because they don't have a, a, as much of foreign additives, whether it be uh, GMOs or what have you, or the preservatives that are used, the pesticides that, you know, there's a lot of theories about it. But the cumulative effect is that gluten is problematic for many people. I mean, I'm gluten-free. Gluten-free causes me symptoms. I've been that way probably six years, if not more. And it, it may cause symptoms that, that most people would see a doctor about and get a medicine, maybe reflux maybe itching, maybe affect your bowels. So you get this or that, you get a medicine. But, but the point is you can avoid a lot of these medications if you recognize that gluten is the culprit. And it can do, I speak a lot about it because it can cause such an array of symptoms. And there's a whole area of non-GI celiac type symptoms or non-GI gluten sensitivity type symptoms without even gut symptoms which would probably, most people would say, really? I thought gluten only affected the gut. Well, a lot of times it does. Constipation, diarrhea, you know, mushy, malodorous stools, bloating. However, you can have just psych symptoms, just neuropsych symptoms. You know, whether- Now that's what, what really struck me is that. Yeah, I, I, think, I think one of the, the take-homes from, that I want people to get from the book is that psych symptoms, Psychological symptoms, whether they be anxiety, depression, you know, uh, uh, mood dysregulation, um, where you know, with rapid cycling mood swings, OCD, attention uh, deficit, yeah, ADHD, yes, certainly, they can be due to medical biological underpinnings, mm -hmm. and that if you don't look for them. First of all, you'll never see. I mean, I said this way back in 1997, my first book. If you don't look, you won't see. If you don't listen, you won't hear. And I really believe that. Unfortunately, I have many doctors who might say, oh, you know, you're not deficient in zinc. You're not, you know, well, did they ever test them for zinc or they have? No. Well, if you test people like I do, because I like to target my nutrients. So I will test them for metabolic imbalances, nutritional insufficiencies. You can't imagine how many people are vitamin D deficient or insufficient. I don't mm -hmm. think 30, which is the quote, the, the lower level of normal. I like people to be uh, 50 to 60, yeah. not 30, 32, but so many are under that. And then zinc and uh, magnesium, and then some of the B vitamins, there, there are so many deficiencies or insufficiencies, maybe not frank deficiencies, but not enough for optimal functioning. 
So uh, uh, this whole thing, you know, you know, doctors poo-pooing it, it's because they don't look. Well, you have to look. And if somebody comes in, I've had so many kids be told they have garden variety anxiety, but the reality is the sudden, the sudden abrupt onset of anxiety and OCD, you can't just attribute, yeah, yeah. Listen, if a, if a teenager had a boyfriend or girlfriend break up with them, sometimes that's the end of the world. And you know, they get suicidal. I mean, I've seen that. And right. sometimes anxiety, depression, panic disorder is anxiety, depression, panic disorder. But if there are other circumstances around it, and that's one of the things I talk about in the book, at the end of every chapter, I give questions and clues to try to point the parents to be uh, made aware that maybe this is playing a part. I'm not uh, telling people to diagnose their kids. I'm just saying, hey, this may be an avenue or a pathway to pursue because it's not just enough to put a label. I mean, psychiatric yeah. diagnoses really describe behaviors. And, 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 and the point is, is that if you don't look beneath it, and sometimes you won't find anything. And sometimes there are no clues. And sometimes it really is. You get the psychosocial history. And certainly, you know, I'm listen, I know kids who you, 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 uh, a breakup and it destroys them and they get, get suicidal. And you try to tell them, listen, I know how hard this is for you now. In three months or six months, you're going to look back. This is going to be a little blip. Right. But right now it's huge. But we got to get you through it. Obviously, uh, it, you don't get a second chance if somebody does suicide. But you know, we have to understand, yes, okay. But if it's in the context of somebody had a strep throat and a week later or two weeks later, or they wake up and all of a sudden they have a tick, you know, where their, their heads are moving or their eyes are blinking or whatever, and they are acutely OCD, we're washing their hands a hundred times a day or uh, walking in a weird way and they can't help it. And they have to do these rituals and they're so anxious and they won't leave their mother or they won't go to school. Uh, those are things that I would not call garden variety OCD and anxiety. I'd say, wow, maybe that's related to the strep infection that caused autoimmunity and inflammation in the brain. And what we do is have an inflammation of the basal ganglia. If you And I've seen so many kids who have been out of school for three years and their lives really kind of blown away because that was missed. And part of the, the reason, going back to your first question of writing the book, so that doesn't happen. This is to educate people so mm -hmm. that hopefully they can pick up on these things and not have to wait three years till they see someone like me and, you know, who, who's got to dig them out of a hole now because the longer inflammation is in the brain, the harder it is. So we, we like to try to get it as early as we can. Mm. This is so interesting. I think a lot of parents, and I love how you made a distinction between kind of the garden variety where you can totally tie it to a psychosocial thing like they lost a friend or a breakup or and psychiatric medications versus something just kind of coming out of the blue yeah because I I have you know I have clients who who have like ADHD but they're also depressed but then they have um, you know uh, sensitivities and allergies and they they're going to one doctor first for psychiatry and then they're going to a GI doctor and they're going to another doctor for allergies and so what is a mother to do <laughs> great, great question because and a lot of mothers are very confused about what yes and so my advice would be to try to see someone you know, I, I, I like to call it integrative medicine because that's what we do, try to integrate it. And this is not the integrative medicine that may be practiced in a hospital, which may be like a little uh, uh, Chinese restaurant smorgasbord, a little bit of A, a little bit of B. In other words, they're going to get surgery, so I'll give a little acupuncture, a little massage therapy. There's nothing wrong with acupuncture massage therapy. I mean, I'm totally in favor of those. Those are part of my treatment programs for various things. But the point being is, that's not integrative medicine. To me, integrative medicine is a mindset. It's a mindset that is always looking, delving, diving deeper to figure out what may be underlying the symptoms. 
if it's inflammation, what's driving the inflammation? That's the question I always ask, what's driving the inflammation? So what's a mother to do? So in an, in an effort to get away from the extremely specialized medicine that we've developed into, this was dates back to Descartes, I think it was in 1790, I can't remember exactly the date, but it goes back a lot of years when he got into the breaking up the human body. And that's when we kind of, he's looked at as almost the father of specialization which was very much looked at as an advance, and it is an advance, don't ever get me wrong. I, I use GI guys all the time, I don't scope, I need, I need them to, to do the uh, scope of the upper uh, tract or a, a scope of the lower tract, and you need the cardiologist, you know, for uh, uh, arrhythmia or a cardiac abnormality or certain medicines I may give, I wanna make sure this is okay. All these specialists have a role, don't ever get me wrong. But when it comes to these complex issues, multi-symptom, multi-system complaints, it's good to get somebody like an integrative physician who has, who, who can take a look at the whole picture and may either put the specialist reports together or may seek out a consultation in an area they need, but it's not just taking, it's like that whole, again, I have a slide in one of my lectures of a huge elephant and about eight or 10 doctors at every piece of the elephant. One's at the trunk, one's at the big ears, one's at the tail, one's at the leg. And each one is describing something different. And none of them are describing an elephant. They're describing, oh, this, this ear is like a flappy, it's like a fan, and this uh, tail is like a long rope, and this trunk is whatever it is. The point being is that they're missing the whole picture. Right. And I think you want a doctor that can try to put together the whole picture, and you want to get one that especially that deals with this population. If it's tweens and teens, adolescents, teens, you want to get somebody with experience and, and uh, who has the ability to try to put it together for you. Actually try to analyze it in a way to try to figure out what may be underlying it and then hopefully synthesize. It's kind of a two, it's, it's a multi-part uh, process, but you know, to break it simply, it'd be to be able to analyze it in a way to look at all the different factors and then synthesize them as to how they may be playing a role in your child because I have people come always from the internet. Oh, I saw this and, th and it's like, yeah, okay, that was there. But your child is not that child. You have to mm -hmm. understand that all this stuff on the internet, unfortunately misleads parents all the time. Yeah, I know that's super helpful. So do supplements help? And what, what do you think about like CBD products and are those good for teens and tweens? So that's yes. a big question. Yeah, but it's a it's an important one. First of all, I so my treatment approaches are you know uh, they consist of multiple parts. Multifactorial is the word I would use. So it's dietary modifications always. You know whether it be gluten free, dairy free, we find food allergy sensitivities. We take them off. It always we get them off refined carbs and sugars, and and certainly and as has been shown in ADHD and very good studies now. Uh, food additives, you know, colorings, flavorings, mm. preservatives, they can worsen ADHD. And mm. That's unequivocal now. It used to be, we always believe that, but there has been some studies um, that are unequivocally shown that. So even I think that uh, conventional docs are much more uh, uh, thinking that way now as well, They're, you know. But um, so, and supplements, yeah, I use, uh, I mean, I use pharmaceuticals when I need to, like when a child is really severe in terms of mood dysregulation, um, I, I, you know, I might, you know, they're really aggressive and they're a threat to themselves or others. Yeah, I might, I, I can use a mood stabilizer or even a, a, sometimes a low dose of an atypical antipsychotic. Yeah, I mean, you know, and, uh, you know, an SSRI to, to help with really depressive thoughts and OCD. There's nothing wrong with that when it's needed, as long as that's not where you stop. As long mm -hmm. as that's to try to, because uh, it takes a while for the other stuff to take traction. So um, for me to figure out what the diet has to be, for me to, you know, I may do something initially, but I get some testing. So in terms of the supplements, I may start some initial supplements and then get my labs and then I can target them more. And so basically I'm a big believer in uh, probiotics and prebiotics to help balance the microbiome. I'm a big believer in vitamin D. In fact, I, I have something I call the Holy Trinity uh, named after uh, one of my friends and patients, uh, Chris Carr, who's a great with metaphors, and it's called the Holy Trinity. It was probiotics, vitamin D, and fish oils, the omega-3s. Because And turns out all those are anti-inflammatory. 
Okay. So those are good for most people, and most of the kids should be on them. Um, and uh, then there are some natural anti-inflammatories, uh, things like curcumin, one of the best of the natural anti-inflammatory. And, and there's so much science, by the way. When I lecture, I have slides that show exactly which immune cells it affects. And then there's some of those things also are very good for tightening up the uh, uh, blood-brain barrier and restoring the integrity. And, and in addition to that, resveratrol. It's the, uh, in the French paradox from red wine. It's a very good uh, phytonutrient that's uh, uh, flavonoid that's really good for the blood-brain barrier, as, huh. as is uh, vitamin D. And uh, so a lot of the, non, the anti-inflammatories can support that. So, you know, so it means taking some pills, which is a pain. And I, I try to talk the kids through that because, you know, you know, hopefully the child wants to get better. If they don't, it's tougher. And I'll have conversations. I mean, luckily, I think that's something I've gotten good at over the years. It's very important to, I sit with the kids and I, I, I try to connect with them, whether it may be joke or whether I may see what I can find they like. And certainly if it's basketball and I'm a, you know, I'm a, <laughs> in terms of I love, uh, I love uh, professional basketball and um, not that I play it. I'm too short and too old, but, <laughs> but I love it. But um, the point being with kids, if I can get a point guard, because I used to coach my kids, you know, my, and uh, they played sports. And um, so I, you know, I, if I can connect to them, that's a big deal. And if I can make a joke or do something that, that has them think, well, maybe he's okay. Maybe he's cool. Maybe, maybe I can, and obviously not be outrageous, but to be getting a way that you connect with them um, so that uh, you get buy-in. Because I always tell, I, I, I will say to a lot of teams, listen, you know, basically I don't really want to waste my time and your parents' time and money if you're not going to do anything. I can't be over you with a stick saying do this and that. So you need to want to get better. And a lot of times what I'll say to the kids is, if I could do anything for you, what would you want me to do? I had one yesterday who said, I really want you to get rid of my OCD. I said, that's great. So now we have a goal. Now I can hopefully bomb. I said, listen, so the things I do, I'm in alignment with him about getting rid of his OCD. A lot of them are not as, always as clear as that. This kid was, he was young too. I think he was 11. And he said, I really want you to get rid of my OCD. So, um, I think the key is to get buy-in is if we can, and it's not easy because I don't just give a medicine. I'm talking about diet, and a lot of times I have to give up the things they like the most, and I'm also uh, talking about a bunch of supplements. I mean, I use numbers of supplements. I mean, if they're really anxious, we have rather than giving, you know, Xanax or Ativan, Lorazepam, there are certain herbs and nutrients we use, magnesium taurate, and certain herbs that can be very helpful for the adrenals. And I, I will check those too. I'll check labs that can really uh, push me to target my, my nutrients pretty precisely. And, and you have to make sure they tolerate them. You know, just like people don't always tolerate all medicines, they, they don't always tolerate uh, all the, uh, the nutrients. So we do it very slowly and we try not to overwhelm them. But the problem is you usually need more supplements than one pill of a drug or two pills of a drug. That's the one problem. And there are certain, if they can't swallow pills, we have powders and liquids and things that they can take. But so I, in answer to your question, yes, I think supplements are extremely important. I think people should know that there is a difference in supplements, like especially like probiotics and uh, omega-3 fish oils. You really wanna get the highest quality. I mean, I, I like to use, we use pharmaceutical grade supplements. I just want people to understand that you just can't go and get the cheapest thing and think you're getting it because not all nutrients are what they are or what they're said to be. And then that moves us into CBD, which was your other part of the question, which I'm a big believer in CBD. We use a pharmaceutical grade CBD. There's a lot of CBD out there that's, you know, everybody jumped into it and I'm not sure that I, I'm pretty sure not only not sure. So a lot of CBD that, you know, is not probably great. Um, and there's, I'm sure there are numbers that are, I, I mean, I'm very comfortable. I have this, you know, it's very pure. It's a pharmaceutical grade, has no THC for the kids. I like to use it without THC because that's the, uh, you know, kind of the more psycho, um, psychologically affecting uh, component of the, uh, 
uh, we use it from hemp, not cannabis. So it's 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 CBD, and and it does use some of the uh, entourage nutrients, some of the other ones. It could be CBG, it could be the terpenoids. So you you do get some of the others to get even a better effect. It doesn't have to be pure CBD, but we don't like it to have any THC for the kids, especially the younger kids. But I think it's important to get. Uh, really pharmaceutical grade nutrients. That's how, you know, listen, that's, I'm a doctor and, you know, when I prescribe things, I'm doing them from a point of view of therapeutic. People come into me and say, oh, I've done everything or I'm taking everything. I look what they're taking. It's got all the names, but the doses are so small, it's meaningless. Mm. If you do a nutrient, you want to do it at the appropriate dose and you want to titrate it up probably. And you want to have a sense of where it interacts with other things and antagonizes. And that's where I think it's sometimes best to have you know, someone I can, like myself or an integrative medicine physician that can help them so that, you know, it, you know, I always say to my parents, you're, you have an N of one, maybe two, the, your kid is an N of one. I have an N of thousands. It's a big difference, you know, besides all the research and everything I've done to treat thousands rather than one, because you have a sense of where things fit, what are the side effects, what are the, where you have to go. And I, I think parents usually find that pretty comforting, actually. This is so great. Do you have any last advice for my moms? I think you've been giving them lots of great advice. Um, the biggest thing I would say um, is that work with somebody you feel comfortable with. You know, look for these potential uh, medical and biological underpinnings. If and and hopefully you have all those clues and questions to maybe help direct you. And hopefully you the physician that you work with, you know, is, is aware of those as well. Um, recognizing that if you really pursue this path, you uh, can have the ability to change the trajectory of your child's and your family's life. Because we know this is not just the kids. You know, one of the greatest gratifications for me is that I don't only heal the kids, I heal the families. Because as we know, you're a family therapist, you know the impact uh, on the parents, on the siblings. Oh my God, there's a whole chapter about what, you know, what, the sibling of an autistic kid, it goes to sometimes, and, and if it's if it's not attended to, and so and the grandparents and the cousins and even the closest friends who can be like we call, like what I call chosen family, so it's uh, really important. And I think the the thing I would leave them then then is is the potential ability to change the trajectory of your child's life and the family's life, uh, but also to have realistic hope, you know. And I say realistic hope because. You know, listen. Anybody who tells you they can they can help every single issue and every single person is not telling you the truth. There are some things that are extremely difficult. You know, have I recovered every autistic kid I've taken care of? No. Have I recovered many that are now in college that you would never know? Yes, definitely. Um, and do I help most of these kids? I see. Yes. Can I say I help every single one of them 100%? No. You, I mean, you have to be realistic. But yet, I think the key is that parents that are told there's nothing they can do or it's just this or that and nobody's ever looked at these things, um, that to have realistic hope that your child can get better. I've taken kids who have been basically out of school for three years. I've had kids that have, wouldn't not only leave a house, wouldn't leave a room, peeing and pooping in a room. I mean, menstruating in a room. I mean, really severe. I have kids that, uh, you know, where, where parents had to, uh, and siblings may have had to move out of a house because the kid couldn't be with them when they have brain inflammation, severe. That's really mm. severe. And then we have to go to, you know, not even medication, we have to go to things called IBIG and things, which is the next tier, which is a major immune therapies, uh, which can be extremely helpful. The point being is that um, wherever you are with your teen and wherever you are with your teen and uh, an adolescent, um, it's not too late. It's not too late, and I would really want to let them know that you can have realistic hope. Oh, this is great. So how, if there's a mom listening, how could they contact you if they have questions or are interested in what you do? Um, they can, well, certainly they can go to the, uh, the website of the book, Brain Inflamed, well, that's Brain Inflamed with a D.com. They can go to my website, which is Bach, B-O-C-K, Integrative. I N T E G R A T I V E, integrative, not integrated.com. Um, and they can certainly call uh, my office, Bach Integrative Medicine, my staff. It's 845 758 
0.00001. I, my, my staff have been with me, many of them, 20 plus years. My, one of my office managers, 35 years. And wow. she deals uh, certainly questions and new patients. And so they, they know, they're really, they're, they're, I couldn't do it without them. They, you know, I can, I can say, okay, this is what I want to do, but then they have to help implement the plan. And they're really, uh, I, I think most of the patients, and obviously, again, true, not, not 100%, but most people would say, well, they really go far and behind, uh, beyond to try to help. Uh, and they've seen, they've seen what's uh, the improvement in these kids. So my, my staff is just so into it because they see what, what sometimes comes in my office and where we get. And I think it, it kind of blows their minds. And so I, I have to, I give a lot of thanks to my staff. Well, this, it says a lot about you that you have staff that's been with you so many years. So um, I want to tell you moms again, uh, we've been talking to Dr. Kenneth Bach and his new book, Brain in Flame, Discover, Uncovering, not Discovering, Uncovering the Hidden Causes of Anxiety, Depression, and Other Mood Disorders in Adolescents and Teens. And I would highly recommend that you would get this book. It's really good. So thank you so much for your time. I know you're a busy man. <laughs> thank you. It's been really been my pleasure. Thank you so much. You're me. so welcome. This concludes this week's episode of Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast. If this podcast has been helpful, I would absolutely love it if you could go to Apple Podcasts and give Power Your Parenting Moms with Teens podcast a five-star review. This makes it easier for other moms like you to find the support and encouragement they need. Also, my best-selling and award-winning book, Dial Down the Drama, Reducing Conflict, Reconnecting with Your Teenage Daughter, A Guide for Mothers Everywhere. You can find that and order it online at Amazon and Barnes & Noble. And you can always find other great resources and contact me at ColleenOGrady.com, two L's and two E's. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>